to die to sin and to live for Christ, to live in obedience, to live in holiness. But the Bible also talks about salvation in the future tense. We shall be saved. Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified, past tense, by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So, when you ask the question, okay, so Paul is thinking about this helmet of salvation. We're to be thinking about salvation. Is he referring to salvation, past, present, or future? Which one would you choose? Well, we obviously have to say all of them, right? But I do think that there is an emphasis that Paul is making on salvation with a future aspect to it. Certainly we can't divorce it and separate it from salvation accomplished in the past and being applied in the present. But I think Paul has this emphasis on future ultimate salvation. Why? Because what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 he uses the same phrase, when he, and, he, and he uses also parts of the armor of God. He talks about the helmet of salvation. But listen to the way he describes it in 1 Thessalonians 5. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So here he's talking about the helmet of salvation, but now he's attaching hope to this salvation. Hope is not something that's related to the past or to the present. Hope has to do with the future. When you talk about hope, we're always thinking about the future. So what Paul is saying to us, I believe, is he, he says, you know, we're to put on this helmet of salvation. Put on, he says, saturate your mind with the salvation, not just of what God has accomplished in Christ in the past and what he's doing in the present, but also the hope of that future salvation, the fullness of that salvation that is guaranteed to us in Christ Jesus. This is what we are to have in our minds and be thinking of in our spiritual battle against the evil one. So let's think for a few moments about this future hope of salvation. Now, when I say hope... Most of you are thinking, I don't know if that's good. Because sometimes we think about hope as wishful thinking. Hope is filled with so much uncertainty, right? I say to you, I hope the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl next year. And they laugh. <laughs> Why? Because it's fraught with so much uncertainty. All right? Now, if I said to you, maybe, you know, New England Patriots, you are, maybe you'll just get angry. Well, that, maybe that's a little more certain. Uh, but, but you see, but biblical hope is not about wishful thinking. I hope I win the lottery. I hope the, you know, the Dallas Cowboy win. No, no, it's not that. Biblical hope is life-changing certainty. I want you to think about that. It's life-changing certainty. You can see some of that in Hebrews 6, the passages I have identified there. It's certainty about that you experience in the present, okay, but it has to do with the future. What God has promised that we would receive. We don't yet possess it, but he's promised it. And it's certain because he has made that promise. Now, let's unfold this a bit more. 
God has made certain promises about the future that are certain, all right? And because it's future, we consider that our hope, right? But because there's a future certain good out there, it affects the way we live in the present. Because that is so certain, it's so certain in the future, it affects the way you and I live in the present. Let me give you an example. Uh, Eugene Lang is a millionaire. And years ago, he was asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders in a school in East Harlem, New York. He was there to try to inspire these kids, most of them African-American and Puerto Rican. And historically in that school, these kids never got you know, very far. They didn't graduate from, co- from high school. And he's given his talk, but he realizes he's not connecting with these kids. So he puts down his notes and he says this to them. Stay in school and I'll help pay the college tuition for every single one of you. Had I said that, they would have laughed. (laughs) He says, that's not very certain. All right. But because it was a millionaire who had the resources to make good on his promises... These kids in that class, which interestingly, they follow the class, over 90% of those kids finished high school. Why? They were living in the present. They went through those other grades in high school, and they graduated, most of them, from high school. Why? They were living in the present because they had this certain hope of the future. This man had the resources. This man was going to make good on his promise. Christian, as you think about your salvation that God has given to you in Christ Jesus, that in Christ all your sins have been washed clean because Jesus died for you at the cross. And this righteousness that you and I need to stand before God, Jesus provided that to you and to me as a gift. But not only that, you have this certain hope that the fullness of your salvation, that everything that God has promised, He will bring to pass. What do you think about? What is your mind filled with when you think about this salvation? Is it filled with salvation and its glory of all the, the glorious work of Christ in the past and the present and the future? What's it look like for you? There's a certain glory, the hope of glory, Christ. There's a certain glorification. What can you expect? Well, you can expect heaven. You can expect to be in a new heaven and a new earth. You can expect, and it's certain to happen, that you will be in the presence of God and that you enjoy Him forever. Peter tells us in 1 Peter, in the passage that we read earlier, that we were born again to a living hope. You see, we're born again, what? To a living hope. This isn't a dead, uncertain hope, but a living hope. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, which is reserved in heaven for you. And he says, for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be real, revealed in the last time. This is what awaits you. This is so certain. Now, how often do you think about heaven? How often do your, does your mind think about that future 
salvation when you are discouraged. Paul, in Romans 8, he says that those whom God predestined, these he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, remember the past tense, these he also glorified. You see, the way Paul sees it, to be glorified, just think about this for a moment, glorification refers to God's completed transformation of our lives, body and soul. Right now we are being changed, right? And 2 Corinthians tells us we are being transformed from glory to glory by the work of the Spirit. But the day will come when we will be perfectly conformed to Christ Jesus. We know, John tells us, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And listen, this encourages me. You know why? Because some of us, we have personalities that are very susceptible to all kinds of power problems and sins in our lives. But the day is coming when your personalities, when your wounds will be healed. I remember a young lady asking me who had suffered tragic loss. She says, when I get to heaven, will I remember this loss and this pain. And I told this, look, I don't know about what's going to happen to our memories, but I can tell you this, there will be no more pain. That's glorification. We will be in the presence of God and God himself will present us to himself perfect in Christ. You see, the way Paul says it though in Romans 8, he says, those he also glorified. He's talking about past tense. Hold on. It's a future event. But he speaks of it in the past tense. Why? Because it is certain. It is certain to be accomplished. It's as good as being done. Because what God has begun, Paul tells us in Philippians 1, what he has begun, he will complete in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it doesn't depend on you and me. It depends all on Jesus Christ, what he has done, what he has accomplished. So there's not a single person that will not be fully saved. No one gets to be lost. No one will be snatched out of the hand of the Savior or the Father's hand, John records for us. No one. And you know, I need to know that. And I need to have that clear in my mind. When I'm struggling with my sin. When I'm struggling against the evil one who wants to take advantage of my sin against me. I need to remember that in the past, the salvation that was accomplished, it dealt with a penalty of my sin. And this same salvation in the present is dealing with the power of my sin. But in the future, this salvation will fully eradicate the presence of sin. Do you remember that? This salvation deals with the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. That's what's coming. So when you wrestle against the evil one and it looks like you're falling and you're given into temptation, you know it won't always be that way. Because you put on your head and you're thinking the helmet of this hope of salvation. So, 
Why does Paul tell us? I've already alluded to this. Why does Paul tell us to wear this helmet? And by the way, do you notice the word that he uses in that text? Take the helmet of salvation. Isn't that interesting? You just take it. He doesn't tell you what to do with it. <laughs> you know, that, that word can actually be translated as receive. That's actually a better translation. Receive it. What is he saying? He says, look, here's the salvation you didn't accomplish. You didn't earn it. It's not based on your merits. It's based on Christ Jesus. You receive it. And you live in it. You think about it. And you let it percolate into your life, into your action, into your service. And how you love God and how you worship God and how you serve other people. You receive it. And you know why this isn't so important. Because as we live the Christian life, as we seek to do battle against the evil one, you and I get discouraged. We get so discouraged. And maybe you're here and you are discouraged today. Some of you are weary. You're tired. You just feel like quitting. And there are moments in our lives that we just feel like, Lord, I really would like to get out of this life. I'm done. I'm done. At the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens, Greece, there's a British, uh, rather, a Brazilian athlete, Vanderlei de Lima, and he was on track to uh, be the first Brazilian to win an Olympic gold in the marathon. He was four miles from finishing the marathon and, and uh, a good, had a good, I think, a lead from the other runners behind him. So just four miles away, and one of the spectators, and some of you may remember this, one of the spectators, actually an Irish priest, he came out from the crowd, he ran into the course, and he pushed Delima, the runner, into the other spectators. Can you imagine? You know, you got your rhythm, your, your breathing, your concentration, your focus, and all of a sudden you get pushed. This being startled and stunned and just, just disrupts everything. There was another spectator who helped Delima get back into the race. He finished the race. He didn't win gold. He was able to get, however, the bronze medal. But what's amazing to me is that he didn't quit. Why not? Because he had his eyes on the finish line. He had his eyes on the prize that awaited him. You and I, we go through life, we feel discouragement because we fall into our sins and temptations. We have all these problems with our kids and our family and relationships and the church. And it's as if the evil one had just shoved us. We've been running, but he just, just shoved us and knocked us off balance. And, it just, and the evil one doesn't want us to think about our salvation. Certainly, certainly not about the past, the present, but certainly not the, the future. But rather wants you to think about, oh man, I have to prepare another meal. I have to pre you know, change more diapers. I have to fix things in my car. I have to do things at work. And just, just to be so earthly minded. All right, just thinking about this life alone. And it overwhelms you because there's so many problems, so much discouragement, and you're so weary, and you feel, will this ever end? And Satan whispers in your mind, you know what? You really can quit. 
There is nothing good that's going to happen. You look at your life. You're on a trajectory. It's just sad. And sometimes we buy it. And we feel like quitting. And so Paul tells us, in those moments, you put on the helmet of this hope of salvation. You fix your eyes on the finish line, on that glorious victory of Christ. He says in another place, press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. Press on. Not in your strength. You're discouraged. You're weary. You're tired. But here's who we have. The Savior. The one who's accomplished the salvation. He's the one who'll come and scoop you up. You know why he'll scoop you up? You know why the shepherd will take you in his arms? Because he did not die in vain. He did not shed his blood in vain. Because this one who triumphed over sin and death and the devil by his resurrection, he will ensure to take you to the very end. He wants you to be in glory. He didn't give you a partial salvation. He gave you a full salvation from beginning to end. Salvation is all of God. And we're to think of that. We're to rely on it. We're to rest in Him. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Richard Baxter is a 17th century pastor. And he lived in a period of time of a lot of unrest and persecution. He was imprisoned for his faith. He was in early 20s and he contracted tuberculosis. He lived for many years thereafter though. But he had a constant cough, frequent nosebleeds, headaches, digestive difficulties, gallstones, kidney stones. He had all kinds of ailments. And yet in this little town where he served as a pastor, God greatly blessed People have asked the question, why didn't he just quit? Why didn't he just give in to discouragement when he was feeling hopeless and feeling all these ailments? You know, he wrote this. He tells us why he did not quit. He said, I made it my practice to meditate on heaven for half an hour every day. And he wrote this book, The Saints Everlasting Rest, which you can read. And it's a meditation on heaven. That was the fruit of his work. You see, I sometimes think that what is more real is the presence of my weariness and being tired and being discouraged. And I fail to see that what is actually more real and permanent is the salvation that Jesus Christ has purchased for me by his blood. And that God will ensure that I receive and inherit. So when sin and Satan intrude into your mind and my mind, you just remember that discouragement will not have the last word. The day is coming when you will be out of reach of sin and Satan and there will be no more warfare. There'll be no more struggle with sin. There'll be no more, as John writes in Revelation, no more sin, no sickness. You can just think about that. No more cancer, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more weariness, no more grief, no more anger, no more fear, no more tears of a wayward children, no abortion, no more murders. No more 
No more homelessness. I just think about this. No more political strife. No more senseless hatred of people of other political persuasion. No more bickering among Christians with regard to immigration and refugees and what we do with them. None of that. No more confusion about your gender. None of that. It'll all be gone. It'll be made right. The fullness of our salvation will be realized. No more tears. No more staying up at night worrying. Because the scripture says there'll be more, no more mourning. No more sadness. No crying. No pain. And this is a glorious picture in Revelation 21 of God wiping the tear from your eyes. Why? Because he knows. He knows how hard it is life in a fallen world. He knows you're discouraged. He knows you become weary. He knows you get tired. He knows you have pain and grief. And he's there waiting for you to wipe the tears from your eyes. That's your salvation. Is your mind filled with that? Oh, Father, I'm so discouraged today, but I'm waiting for you to receive me. I'm waiting for you. Can you extend your arm to me today? Right now, right here. Can you pray that? None of that sadness, none of that sin. It's going to be joy. You know, there are a few times in my life that there's been a sense of joy that has just overwhelmed me. And I think that's just a picture of the joy that's yet to come. What would it be like to be eternally joyful? I mean, for some of you, that would just be a radical change. (laughs) Because some of you are just like, "Mm -hmm." humbug. But you will be eternally joyful in the presence of God, who is your joy. This God who is our salvation, the Lord is my salvation. We will rejoice, dear friends. And though the scripture doesn't say, I imagine we're going to laugh. We're going to laugh. There's going to be this glorious laughter in heaven. Some of you know there's this young man by the name of Zach, and he was here years ago in the military. And I remember one occasion he brought a friend, this girl. She came to church, and she came to the house, and we talked, and there was something that was said, and she laughed. No kidding. And my first reaction was, you know, I was stunned. I go, wow. Um, And I wanted to laugh at her. And then I realized, my heart warmed up to her, and I go, you know what she just did? She had a moment in which she expressed pleasure and joy, and she didn't care who was around. She didn't care because she wasn't thinking about anybody else. Do you see, when we're in God's presence, I'm not going to care what you think of me. 
And you're not going to care what other people think of you. All those things that burden you and that cause you grief. No, you will be in his presence. You only care about who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished. And you will have this immense joy. And you will laugh with pleasure and with joy for the glorious things that God has done in your life. And you will finally know that you are loved. Do you know how many times people have told you that God loves you? But you don't really believe it, do you? You and I will finally know the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the love of God for us. And we will say to him, Lord, you know, I always heard it, but I didn't quite believe it. But now I really believe it and I feel it. Thank you, Lord. And you know what you're going to do at that moment when you are overwhelmed with this joy and this love before the presence of God? You're going to worship him. There's, how else, do you, what can you do? What else can you do? And you're going to cast your crowns. Now, what does that mean? Revelation 4, 9, and 10 talk about this casting of crowns. So, remember the Roman soldier's helmet? That told you on the top there was a fastener? Now, a lot of biblical scholars believe that after a victory by the Roman army, all right, they would have, they would go back into the town, they would have this victory parade. They would have their helmet on, but at that point, they would put on this colorful crest, this plume. So they're following the commander going through the streets, and the soldiers are behind, but they're wearing now this kind of victory plume crown. The day is coming, dear brothers and sisters, you who are battling against sin and battling against the evil one. Remember this, the day is coming that Jesus Christ, the one who rightfully wears the crown of glory, he is coming back for you and for me. And he's going to lead us in triumphal procession to that glorious new city. And we are going to be following King Jesus. And you know, the scripture says that we have received a crown of life. He's going to take off that helmet because we won't need that protection anymore because we will have the fullness of salvation on that day. And yet we who have this crown of life, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do like those elders in Revelation 4. They took off their crowns and they laid them at Jesus' feet. Why? Because you know that the one who got you there wasn't you. You weren't the one that overcame sin by your strength and your power. You weren't oh, the one who conquered the evil one. No, it was Christ Jesus. And so, at that moment, we will say, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Authority, honor belongs to you. We lay down our crown. We didn't do it. You did it, Jesus. I was discouraged. You picked me up. I felt like quitting. You preserved me. You brought me to the finish line. You put me right before the presence of God. I need to remember that. Are you discouraged? Are you weary? Do you want to quit? Put on the helmet of salvation it is certain it's as certain as the death resurrection and the empty tomb that's how certain it is because what God has begun he will complete 